We're going to continue in this text, John 15. If you weren't here this past uh, Sunday, we were reading John 15, 1 through 11. And and today we're going to look at verses 12 uh, through 17. So if you will stand with me, if you're online, if you can engage your faith as we read the word of God together. This is John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray. God, we come to you once more. And we lift up your word and ask for you to give us grace. Lord, in a a moment in life where loving one another can become very difficult... Lord, I pray that you would, you would, by your Holy Spirit, show us that we have received the grace to love one another sacrificially. God, I pray that you would, you would establish in our church friendships that are founded on the sacrificial love that Jesus exemplified. That we would be motivated by the example and the model of Christ and that we would be secure in the salvation of Christ that in all of these things that we would find a deeper love, a deeper companionship, a deeper friendship than the convenience of affinity. God, that we would be committed to one another and that as we look out across our, our church body, our congregation, we would know that we do love one another. God, would you bind our hearts together with the twine of your son's love And would you draw us close to one another and make us a community of faith, a body of believers whose love so evidences the power and the the resurrection life of God that the world around us can't do anything but say that there's something different here that I want. Lord, allow us to follow you in this, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as, as Pastor Jermaine said last week, this, this text, this address that Jesus gives, it falls within a, a, a longer address that, that Jesus is giving after the Lord's Supper. And, and in this case, after, after Judas has left and, and they are together, the eleven and Jesus. This, this also occurs after, we should keep this in mind, that, that uh, Jesus has washed their feet. You know, this is the last moments before he's to be arrested. And, and so Jesus is giving some preparatory statements that he wants them to remember, some things that, that maybe even the other shoe won't drop until after his resurrection, some things that, that are going to have fuller meaning after his resurrection. And we saw some of that in, in verses 1 through 11, talking about uh, loving God and obeying him and, and the Father being uh, 
expressed and understood through the Son. And here we see that Jesus is going to go further and talk a bit more about love. So if you look at verse 12 with me, it says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, if we were to go to, excuse me, if you were to go to chapter 13, you would see that he's already said this. Verse 34 says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. It's not a new commandment that he has called them to love one another. That was actually a commandment given in the Old Testament in, in, in Leviticus, I believe. But he says this, um, it may not have been in Leviticus. I think that's the love your neighbor. But, but it is in the Old Testament. And he goes on and he says this. It's a new commandment because he says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So he raises the bar of loving one another. And here in verse, uh, verse 12 of chapter 15, he says the same, same thing. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Not period, but you, that you love one another. space as I have loved you. He defines love as loving other people as Jesus loves. We don't get to define love. And that offends the common world. That offends the, the, the modern world because uh, according to our world, this postmodern, post objective reality, post-Christian, post-there-are-truths-that-are-self-evident that are world, this world of autonomy where the, the self gets to decide what is real and what is true and what is right. No, no, Jesus says, no, I decide what love is. And what does he say love is? It's a strong feeling and affection. No, he... What does he say? Does he say it's, it's, a, it's an affinity for someone who has something in common with you? No. He says, love as I have loved you. Now, before Christ dies, they, they've been given this picture of, oh, man, Jesus, who is, who is our leader, who is the greatest, who is the strongest, who is the wisest, he served me like the lowest of servants by washing my feet. And then a few days later, they're going to have this realization, oh, Jesus, who is the the greatest, who is the highest, who is the strongest, who is the mightiest, he, he died for me. He stepped in my place and he took the greatest of punishments, the greatest of judgments, and he died a bloody, terrible, murderous death in my place for my sins. We don't define love. We may want love to mean doing what's convenient for me, but Jesus defines it by modeling it. And very soon we'll see that he shows his most radical love through, as I said, his sacrificial and substitutionary death on the cross. He says, love one another as I have loved you. He goes on in verse 13. Greater love has no one had than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He goes on to describe what ultimate love looks like. And when our world thinks about ultimate love, we think about perhaps sacrifice, but, but a lot of times it's, it's agreement, it's, it's shared experience, it's, it's the rom-com, and now they, they both agree about everything, and everything's good and fun, and, and they're, they're, they've gotten beyond their misunderstandings, and she's taken off her glasses, and now he sees her for who she is, and there is real love. But Jesus says, no, love, love has to do with sacrifice. And we understand something of that, I think. We understand something of sacrifice. He defines love and friendship in terms of sacrifice. Greater love has no one had than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. You know, I've got a lot of friends who are no longer friends, so maybe I don't have a lot of friends. But I, I had a lot of friends in high school 
but I graduated and I, and I went to college and they went to college and, and I found out that these were really relationships of convenience. Now, they were fun relationships. I had a good friend who, who had a, a Chrysler LeBaron and, and, and we'd listen to Lowrider and, and we'd just drive around as 16-year-olds, you know, eating popcorn. I don't know. We were just doing what teenagers did and, and we, you know, we were close. We were friends. And I don't, I don't hold anything against this guy. There's nothing wrong, but we're not close anymore. It was, a, it was really, by and large, a matter of convenience and affinity. We were both in, in the same theater program. We were excited about doing technical theater. And uh, he had a car, and I wanted to go somewhere, and he wanted to go somewhere. And so we were, we were close. We were friends. But when college separated us, when convenience was no longer there, when he went and he did, did his own thing, and I went and did my own thing, all of a sudden our... What, what we thought was friendship was really revealed to be a, a common affinity. And I don't mean to demean that. That was a good thing for the time. It was a, it was a fun thing and a, and a blessing in its own right for the time. But, but there's something that Jesus wants to tap into, and he wants us to tap into when we think about covenant faithful relationships. When Jesus talks about friendship, he's not talking about convenience, When Jesus talks about friendship, he's not talking about what you can do for me, at least not primarily. He says, greater love has no one than this, that that he lay down his life for his friend. Not that that they go to 7-Eleven together and get, you know, but but that, that he lays down his life. That he sacrifices what is most valuable in his own life. That he gives all that he can give for this person. Imagine, imagine Jesus in this situation, right? He's on the precipice of dying a horrible death, and he knows it. And he's still coaching these guys about what friendship looks like. Imagine the love for them that's welling up in his heart and motivating him to press on. In Hebrews, it says that, that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, For the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, surely some of that, a great deal of that joy was the joy of of glorifying his father. But I believe that an aspect of the joy that he experienced was seeing these 11 knuckleheads that he had chosen, as we'll see. Seeing them and, and knowing, I love these guys. I love these guys. This is encouraging for me, family, because... I don't have a whole lot in common with a Jewish man who lived 2,000 years ago and worked with rocks. We don't have a common affinity. He doesn't have a Facebook profile. I don't think he would have much to do with computers or science fiction or reading or whatever in his humanity. But, but he is my friend. And he is your friend, as we see, if you want him to be your friend. Real love and real friendship requires sacrifice, and Jesus exemplifies that sacrifice. His friendship is altogether different than our friendly acquaintances that cost us little to nothing. His friendship is about to cost him his life. Family, what do, what do your friendships cost you? What, what does it cost you to be friends with those around you? You know, I, I feel like Many of us, and rightly so, might, might look at our lives and say, you know, I don't have a lot of friends. You know, I, I wish I had more friends. 
and, and the reality is Eddie Barnes can only do something about Eddie Barnes. And so this text is calling us up to a faith in God that lets us be friends by us doing the sacrificial work first. Not a sacrificial work like Jesus in the sense that it, it earns any sort of salvation, but, but a sacrificial work that, that recognizes what God is doing in our life and then extends it to other people. What, what do your friendships cost you? You know, we talk about small groups, and, and we say small group, small group, small group, and, and, and it can become this kind of buzz phrase that, that loses its meaning. But, but I think in many ways what we're trying to create is branch life, as, as Pastor Jermaine had said. It's, it's these connected friendships. If I'm a branch and you're a branch, we're branches together, we get to celebrate being on the vine together. And, and we have the privilege in the context of these, these small group relationships, in the context of this church, to look at other people and say, you know what, I'm going to commit my life to you. I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up on a Thursday on a Zoom call. I'm going to sacrifice an hour, 45 minutes of my own, quote-unquote, quote-unquote, my own time. It's not really your own time. It's God's time. He's stewarded it to you to use it well and wisely. I'm going to sacrifice just that much. I'm going I'm to call someone. I'm going to return a text message. I'm going to send a meal. I'm going to do things that cost me because I recognize that like Christ, my friendships are defined in part by the sacrifice that I make in love. What do your friendships cost you? Maybe, maybe you've been doing this. Maybe this is the kind of friendship you've tried to pursue and, and it hasn't been reciprocated. My encouragement to you is that Jesus understands how you feel. The, these, these 11, he, he's laying out his life for them. He's, he's, he's bearing his soul to them. He's going to go and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's going to ask them, please pray with me and they're going to fall asleep and he's going to feel rejected and abandoned, and then he's going to be quite literally abandoned. Jesus knows what it looks like to be a friend to people who aren't friends to you. And Jesus is a friend to the friendless. So if that's you, I would encourage you to pursue and hold on to Jesus and believe the promise that he loves you and he cares about you. And, and, and at the same time, don't allow your soul to become bitter and angry, but allow the brokenness that you have experienced to inform you, to comfort those around you, and to be a different kind of friend to those around you. We know that Jesus is our friend, that he loves us, not because he likes the same movies as us, not because he's, he's a Washington football team fan or a Cowboys fan, but because he laid down his life for us. And, we, and, and how do we know that we're his friend? Let's keep going and look. Look at verses 14 through 16 with me. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have, made, uh, I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever I ask, whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give to you. Jesus says a lot in those texts, in those, in those three verses. 
but uh, he defines our friendship in terms of obedience. Again, he doesn't define it in terms of affinity. He doesn't define your friendship in terms of whether or not you feel warm and fuzzy towards Jesus. His question is, are you going to obey? Are you going to obey? And it's funny because discipleship is a word that just meant following. And what he, 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 called, he called fishermen and he called tax collectors, and he called guys from, from various different backgrounds, and what he didn't call them to do was to, hey, we're going to form this club, and in this club, we're going to meet on every Thursday, and we're going to play cards, or we're going to, you know, um, we're going to, it's a, it's a bowling team. No, it wasn't, it, there wasn't an agreement about their, their backgrounds or what they did. It was a very diverse group, but he said, we're going to come together under this mission that God has given me, and you all who are very different are going to live with me. You're going to live in relationship with me. <clears throat> and, and the call is simply a call to follow and obey. He's reiterating what, what he said in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. You know, sometimes we want to say, well, I don't want to be legalistic. I don't, I don't want to, you know, it's not about rules, God. It's not about, you know, right or wrong. I think a lot of times that's a cop-out on our part. Because if you love someone, you're going to do things to please that person. You know, I love my wife, and, and so I try to do the thing. I don't do it perfectly, but I, I try to do the things that she wants me to do. And, it, and, and the two things are not separate. My affection for my wife is not separate from my actions toward her. It would be weird if they were. It would be hypocritical and, and, and meaningless if I said, I love you, sweetheart. And she said, well, if you love me, can you do this? I'm like, well, no, I can't. I'm not doing that. I don't have time for that. Well, that's not really love. And we understand it on that, real, that level. At the same time, if I just mechanically did things for her, I have done the things for you, but there was no affection attached to it, it would be really strange. You know? Why don't you... Where's, where's the, the... So love is, yes, it's a feeling, and yes, it's an action. It's both. DC Talk said love is a verb. Sure, love is a verb. It is also an affection and it's tied together. And he says that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Now, obedience, it, it, is, it is fruit. Obedience is it's a sign of life. It does not cause life. So what I'm saying is, is just rotely going through the Old Testament and saying, okay, I have to obey these rules. That never works. And, and in fact, we could never do that because what is the first command? Uh, well, the first command of the, of, of the New Testament, or the Old Testament, not the first command, the first of the Ten Commandments, we're going to get there, um, is, is you shall have no other gods before you. And, and that has to do with the heart. That doesn't just have to do with mechanical actions. It has to do with the heart. And what does Jesus say? The, the, the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, um, soul, and strength. I don't know. It's in there. Love the Lord your God with everything, basically, is what he says. And, and what he means is both action and affinity. Action and affection, rather. We are called to obey him. And sometimes that obedience is the obedience of, of love and, and faith. And sometimes the obedience is the obedience of doing but our friendship with God, our friendship with Christ is, is confirmed 
It's not created, but it's confirmed by our obedience. You can't be a a friend of Christ and be unwilling to obey him. You can't be a disciple of Christ and not follow him. You can't be a citizen of his kingdom and want to be your own king. You can't want him to to lead and rule your life and also want to rule. Today, I was, you know, with my kids and we go through a verse a day. Um, We try to. And today, the the simple verse was, um, you cannot have two masters. You cannot have two masters. And I think a lot of times we want to say, Jesus is my Lord. But secretly, we're like, just kidding, I'm Lord. You know, because we want everyone else to, oh, Eddie, he's such a good Christian. And you're like, I am a good Christian. I should be king. That de- that's an oxymoron. We're called to obey. We're called to obey because Jesus has called us our friend. He's, he's brought us in. He goes on in verse 15 to talk about how he is, he's brought us in. We're not just servants who have been told to do something with no explanation. We could be servants God would be in his right to just say, do what I tell you to do. Well, why, God? Because I said so. You know, if you're a parent, you understand that. You do what I said because I'm the parent and you're the child. That's all the explanation you need. You really don't need an explanation. You just need to go ahead and do the thing. That, that could be God's disposition towards us. That could have been Jesus' disposition. But he says in verse 15, uh, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for... For all that I have heard I've, from my father, I have made known to you. So he had made known the plan and the purpose of, of this resurrection life, the plan and, and the, the purpose of God's redemption. And they would understand fully after his death and resurrection, but they had an idea. Jesus had revealed the father's plan in greater degree than, than had ever been revealed prior to Jesus' coming. You know, in the Old Testament, it's talked about in terms of mystery and, and there's, there's gaps. They don't quite understand how you can have this suffering servant and, and a, a, a Messiah king and how those two, those two types of, uh, of views of God and his intervention in the world is going to become unified into a single person. They didn't, they didn't have that, that, that broke their schema, that broke their framework. They didn't understand it. But Jesus had come. He had talked to the 11. He had talked to the 12, but Jesus is gone. And, and he had explained these things to them. Now, they didn't get it perfectly, but they had it much better than anyone had had prior to this point. They had been brought in. They were friends. And then he goes, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. You know, he he had chosen them. It it was common for, for disciples to choose a rabbi, to choose a teacher, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole, you know, election, predestination. I don't think that this text deals with that. I think this text has to do with the fact that, that Jesus said, I had a plan for you and I pulled you in. You didn't choose me. I chose you and I have a plan for you to bear fruit. And he goes and he founds their purpose in, in bearing fruit. And, and I think Pastor Jermaine asked me or, or left that as me for, for me to explain what, what fruit is. And in this text, I think that the fruit has to do with, with salvation, has to do with with conversion and, and, and bringing people to faith. Certainly there are other applications, but here I think he's talking about, you know, these are the apostles, the soon-to-be apostles, and he's saying, I called you, and as you are going to find out, you're going to bear fruit, the fruit of conversion. You're going to take this gospel message that's been entrusted to you, this thing that, that I've not kept from you because you're a, you're, you're a friend, 
and, and you're going to take it to other people, and they're also going to become friends. They're going to be converted, and you're going to bear fruit. The vine is going to grow. And he says, all in order that when you pray, because you are so aligned with my will, whatever you ask, it will be given to you. And like the disciples, God calls us to make disciples, to invite other people to follow Jesus, to love him, to obey him, to be befriended by him. And in all of this, we're called to love one another. Look at verse 17 with me. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, Jesus has been talking since verse or chapter, <clears throat> chapter 12 or 13. He's been talking for a number of verses about various things that he wants them to do. And here he says, you know, I want you to love one another. I want you to obey me. I want you to be a friend to me by obeying me. He, and he is, he's gone in various ways and angles. And here he, he summarizes it all. And he says, these things I command you, ultimately the purpose is that you would love one another. <clears throat> Love one another. Now, you might be saying, well, well, Jesus, isn't the most important thing that we love you? And, and the point I think he's trying to make here is, is, yes, you love me, but that love, again, is confirmed by your love for one another. You know, it's, it's a really unique thing to be in a church like this. Frankly, where you have white people and you have black people and you have Asian people and you have Hispanic people. You've got Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians. You've got people from the city. You've got people from the country, people from the suburbs. And we don't all agree. And if we all went to lunch, we'd probably order some pretty different stuff. You know, some of us, some of us would be going to Mission Barbecue. Some of us would be going to Cheesecake Factory. Some of us would be going home because we got something in the slow cooker, you know. But we're drawn together because our love for God has been expressed in a love for one another that says, you know, despite the fact that there are differences between you and me, despite the fact that there are differences in our background, despite the fact that there are differences in our understanding of life and our perspectives, I'm committed to loving God by loving others, and you're committed to loving God by loving others. And so we're going to be in, in relationship together. You know, I don't agree with everything that, that every single one of the pastors believes And I'm not going to just go down the list. <laughs> We're not going to have like a, a critique moment. But you know what? I, I love Pastor Brett. And I follow him. I believe in his leadership. Um, and, and I'm committed to him because I'm committed to loving one another. Because that evidences, that evidences my discipleship more than my theological prowess, more than the, my, my um, ministerial excellence, my love for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ shows the world that there is something different. Family, if, if we miss this, we miss it all. That's why Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, guys, if you don't have love, you're like a clanging cymbal. You're making a lot of noise, but no one understands. Calls us to love one another. When we love one another, regardless of our many differences, we evidence the Spirit's work in our lives. And when we love one another, we show that Jesus is real and that He can change and transform lives. 
Family, we are in a, we're in a, an amazing season of life. It's a tough season. Everyone kind of jokes about 2020. 2020 is so crazy, so hard, you know. We got all these things happening, racial uh, unrest and, and a virus that just won't quit, or maybe it will quit. You know, there are conspiracies about, you know, what, what's going on, and there's so much disagreement, and then, and there's just this turmoil And in the midst of this, God is calling us to a kind of love that would be a a clarion call where people would look around Facebook and they'd see craziness, craziness, craziness. Oh, Grace Covenant Church, what's going on here? They all seem so joyful. And, And it's not a white church. It's not a black church. It's not an Asian church. I don't know what to call this church. It's church, yeah, it's church. You have the privilege of being a friend. You have the privilege of exemplifying Christ. You have the privilege of showing the world that God can do things. The way you do it is by loving the people in this room, loving the people online, calling up the people with whom you you disagree strongly and saying, hey, can I just pray with you? Not to convince you, not to debate you, not to enter into a conversation about, you know, why your perspective is wrong, but to say, I just want to believe that God is going to meet us in relationship. We're we're at a pivotal moment, family. You know, we're laughing and joking, but, but election day is coming. And it will come and go, and God will still be on his throne. So in one sense... Our faith is, is that, but, but we have an opportunity to exemplify the love, the stability, the strength, the unity of Christ if we, will, if we will choose to love one another above all our other allegiances and above all our other calls. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. <clears throat> we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love us. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you love us, that you pour out the love of the Father, that you enable us to understand and experience the love of the Father to such a degree that we would cry out, Daddy, Father, that our adoption is something that we not only know of, but we experience. And God, I pray that our love for those within our covenant community, for our love for the, the, the fellow members of our ch- church, our love for our brothers and sisters would be so real, so committed, so founded in our willingness to sacrifice that, that we would present to the world something dynamic and radical. That, that sterling would be changed not just by our giving, not just by our generosity, but by our love. That Loudoun County would be changed not just by our willingness to to sacrifice, to, to give and give and give, but by our love for one another. That it would be something that would entice outsiders to look in and say, I want some of that. Lord God, I pray that we would commit to be friends, real friends with one another. I pray, Father, for those who feel like they don't have friends. And I, f- I pray that, that Grace Covenant Church would be a place where they would find friends. Not just of convenience, not just of affinity, but of committed, sacrificial giving founded upon the love of Christ. That we would, we would be a home. We would be a home, God. 
God, make us a home. Make us a home in this community. If you don't have a home, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, today is your day to trust him as your Lord and Savior, to trust that though you are a sinner, in other words, as the Bible says, though you have disobeyed God and deserve his righteous wrath and punishment, Jesus came to die on the cross for your sins in your place and resurrect his life to come back from the dead in order that you might, by faith in him, by trusting in him, experience that same new resurrection life, experience forgiveness, experience adoption, experience his friendship. If that's you and you want to trust in Jesus, if you're feeling God pull you, I just want you to raise your hand. If you're online, I want you to let one of our hosts know. And as you do that, I want you to pray with me. God, I, I recognize that I am a sinner, that I, that I prior to now have not related to you as my Lord and Savior turn away from everything I know to be sin and I turn, turn to you and ask you to forgive me for my sins and give me, help me to walk out this life of faith. If that's you, I, I want to encourage you to let someone know. Let one of our leaders know. If you're online again, let one of our hosts know because we'd love to walk out this life of faith with you. We want to be your friend. God, I pray that you would help us to be obedient to you, to show ourselves to be good friends to you, to show ourselves to be good friends to one another. Above all, to love you with all that we are by loving others. We pray this all in the name and the power and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.